0: Welcome to Classical Week. Classical Week isn't quite as exciting as Classical Day, or the match itself, but increasingly, as coverage of football has changed, certainly during my professional career, my life, there are events, there are worthwhile previews, there are people speaking about previous Classicals that all do, in my opinion... Add to the power of the event, the, the fascination of the event, because, well, it's always about the next game who can thrill us, who will win, who will prove that they're not worthy of the occasion, what oddities will crop up, whether that be fans, referees, managers post-match, por qué, etc. All of those things are vital, but sometimes Classical Week allows us the closest thing we've got to a time machine where previous players speak at length about what they went through. They say things that at the time they, they didn't feel c- capable of expressing or they were too conservative in order to be able to share. It's fun, basically. In this matter, maybe I'll be one minute grain of sand in a giant Copacabana beach, I hope, but we do want to join the jamboree and, and try to share things that we think are important with those who listen to the podcast and those who are fascinated by the uh, by the classical. That's the reason that we recorded with Victor Sanchez Delamo, who who spoke brilliantly in Madrid last week. I hope that you've had the chance to listen to part one. Watch on YouTube part one if you want, where. He's very, very good about the culture at Real Madrid, La Fabrica, the youth system, the way in which um, expectations around that club, which are often reported as being the same all the time, they always want to win, they're always the greatest in Europe, it's it's always blah, blah, blah. And that's not true. His passage on the move over from um, Arsenio Iglesias to... Fabio Capello and and the way that Capello galvanised individual superstars, changed the culture of training, made a league-winning team finally after so many years when Cruyff's dream team had been dominating Spanish football. And Victor talking about the way in which Fabio Capello's impact on Real Madrid began to be copied and and really was... um, It seeded the change that then became a move towards Spanish football dominating Europe and the world from really his point onwards until more or less now or at least recently. So having a first-hand piece of knowledge about that was, was terrific. Victor played in six classicals with vi- wildly fluctuating results as is often the case in the classical. It's an odd fixture. There were many, many years when Madrid dominated, and I mean many years when they were wildly ahead in the positive results. Then there were many years when Barcelona managed to dominate the quality of football and the results. And we've been in a phase recently of of Madrid being more likely to win at, at Camp Nou and Barca being slightly more likely to win at Bernabeu, which... No matter how you break it down, no matter how you try to explain it in terms of character or tactics, is an oddity. It it shouldn't be that way, but it often is. We reached this Classico off the back of the last three results, which were a 2-1 win for Madrid at Camp Nou at the beginning of last season. Then a 4-0 win when Chabi's team really ripped into Ancelotti's side. Then league leaders and subsequently champions, champions who extended their lead um, on on the pack after after the Glasgow, they lost four nil, which is absolutely brilliant character. And the the Joker in the pack, the one nil bus win in the Clasico in Las Vegas, when really I have to emphasise again, if you didn't watch it, Roman did arrive at that game not having had any. Um, previous friendlies, which Barcelona had, Real had trained less. The first half was wonderful, so competitive. Rafinha scored a goal that was world class in its execution. Really, really thrilling. And then the first, the second half became much more dominated by Barcelona because limited did, irrespective of substitutions, tired. So I don't know whether we take anything from that really at all, except from probably Madrid being ultra-annoyed at having lost two in a row and wanting to do damage to Barca this Sunday afternoon. But when you break up a match like this in advance, one of the things that I like to try to do, I hope it's interesting, is, is to mix... Stories about people's character or personality or behaviour with stories or analysis about how they play, how they might influence the game itself. And for that reason, for ESPN FC, this week I chose to write about two of the extremely exciting, potentially match-altering footballers, one on either side, who are nominally the the wide players. Usman Dembele for Barcelona and Vinicius for Real Madrid. It made sense when I was planning it. I eventually enjoyed writing it. So hope you enjoy me reading it. By the end of Barcelona's last visit to the Santiago Bernabeu, Usman Dembele must have felt like he was walking on air because the world Seemed to be at his feet. Vinicius, in comparison, could have been forgiven for feeling he'd just suffered a sucker punch, that life had just knocked him off course and in pretty brutal fashion. With those two men likely to be the key for their respective teams as the Clásico reaches Madrid's majestic stadium again this weekend, it's worth looking at their reactions to that remarkable 4 0 away win, how they've played, developed, and processed the impact of such a dramatic night in the world's greatest football match since last spring. Dembélé, back in late March, with Barcelona attempting to stage an unlikely late title push, and looking good to beat lowly Heintracht Frankfurt in pursuit of winning the Europa League, well, Dembélé was scintillating, and he was a determining factor against Los Blancos. Two goal assists to break the game thanks to crosses which Aubameyang and Araujo headed home and a good role in the 3-0 goal meant that Xavi's repeated, loudly broadcasted but somewhat surprising blind faith in the Frenchman seemed to be being repaid. Vinicius, at one stage clean through on Marc-Andre Ter Stegen's goal and one of Madrid's livelier players throughout, had built up to playing Barcelona whom he'd ripped to shreds in the Camp Nou Clásico six months earlier, with two goals and four goal assists in Madrid's previous five Liga matches. He was flying. But now begin the stark comparisons which lead to today, with Vinicius stellar, grown in authority and assurance, but with Dembélé looking predictable, sloppy, and gifting the ball away so much that he's verging on being a liability. The World Cup winning Frenchman followed up with two assists and two goals in the same game during Barcelona's remaining 11 matches, losing to Frankfurt, going out of Europe, and seeing the 12-point gap between Xavi's team and Los Blancos, which was established that night in March, stretched to 13 by the time the season finished. Deeply underwhelming. Vinicius, well, the then 21-year-old, and by the way, there's four years between these two mercurial, entertaining but very different wingers, the 21-year-old showed that he's made of the right stuff. As Madrid surged to only their second Liga and Champions League double in 64 years, yeah, just mark that down, Last season was only the second time in 64 years Madrid have simultaneously been champions of the league and champions of Europe. Anyway, the kid from Sao Consalo, near Rio, scored or created another 11 goals, including, of course, the winner in the Champions League final. This season, Dembélé fluttered back into form, two assists, two goals, until a month ago. He went away on international duty with France, played 12 minutes, picked up a minor muscle overload and meantime, his wife gave birth to their first kid. Congratulations. Since then, Dembele's form has evaporated. What's more, across the entire season so far, he's only set up one goal for Robert Lewandowski. What should have been, in theory, a fertile, potentially trophy-winning partnership is currently Arid. So, back to Madrid's man at the moment. In a situation where Casemiro has left, Benzema has only played twice in five weeks. While the team can't stop conceding domestically and Courtois, out of the blue, has been in dry dock because of back pain, loads of big responsibility has fallen on this fantastic emerging world superstar. In answer to the call, Vinicius has scored or assisted in all but two of Madrid's 12 matches this season. There's evidence, if you want to tot up the above facts and stats, to suggest that Dembélé isn't in the right form to make an impact on either Dani Carvajal or Ferland Mondi, isn't in shape to wrench the Clasico in Barcelona's direction, irrespective of their flaccid form over the last couple of matches. There's evidence, too, that Vinicius, without the shackles of Ronald Araujo, with whom Xavi has man-marked him during the last 180 minutes of classical football, during which Madrid haven't scored, well, Vinicius might now arguably let rip and produce a Barcelona-beating man-of-the-match performance. But even that is not necessarily my key point. I think it's important in comparing the two to see how representative each man is of the current state of the club that he's at, particularly Dembélé. Xavi was, without question, a player whose vision, talent, determination, daring, and technical skills soared when allied to a clever, organized, intelligent system. Yet his team right now are playing football which looks devoid of a system. It's a collection of good players, some of them excellent, where the ball is shuttled forward in the hope and expectation that one of the special players will do something, well, special. For weeks, Barcelona haven't been successful in producing high-quality possession football and certainly are not playing the kind of positional football which Pep Guardiola introduced at the camp now, and which Xavi, for most of his nearly one year in charge, has been trying to teach the current pupils. Now, I think you'll agree, Dembele is iconic in all of this. From the moment he arrived until now, there's no questioning his talent, his pace, his two-footed dribbling and shooting, or how he can either erupt from a standing start to a startling rate with the ball at his feet, or, on the run, how he can glide past defenders as if they're not there. But... Ask him to be consistent, to do it game after game, to top all of his talents off with a constant goal supply, to be ruthless, to shoulder responsibility for killer goals when the rest of the team is suffering, even to ask him to explain what's in his head when he tries to trick or cut inside the third or fourth rival when one or two at most would have been the shrewd effective option well, join the queue of people scratching their head. Almost all of his coaches, most fans, and the majority of the media, have been left in puzzled frustration as to why Dembélé doesn't develop, doesn't improve. The Frenchman, who admittedly has begun to avoid injury better than almost at any time in his spell at Barcelona, recently told the Catalan media, I'm left-handed, but I play with both feet. These days... I prefer to lead and dribble with my left and shoot with my right. Chavi likes his wingers to be very open and to take on rivals 1v1. Apart from Thomas Tuchel, Xavi's the only other coach I've had such a close relationship with. They're both totally upfront and honest with you. I'm never in any doubt about Chavi's opinion of me. He tells me straight if he thinks I need to work on something. And he's totally clear in his feedback on my fitness and whether or not he's including me in the starting lineup, He gives me a huge amount of support. He's very tough on us in training and doesn't hold back if he thinks it's not good enough. Javi talks a lot about the importance of working hard, not just on the pitch, but off it too. And has told me that if I want to be the best, I need to score more goals, give assists, maintain a strong mental attitude and be totally focused. He saw from the start that he wanted me to do more for the team to be a more complete player." End of quote. Right now, whether it's a physical dip, a loss of confidence, or just a tired young man suffering from the impact of having a first newborn child in the house and sleep being a vanishing commodity, Dembélé has regressed badly. And like Xavi's team, he doesn't have exceptional, rigorous habits to fall back upon. If Dembélé is off form, there's nothing for it but to wait until he clicks. The team around him, once steely, entertaining and formidable because they kept to certain demanding and important playing principles over and over again until opposition couldn't keep up, well, this team now produces ragged, make-it-up-as-we-go-along football especially when their superstar players are out of form. Vinicius is a vastly different case study. On arrival, and for his first months, he was raw. A mustang of a player. Wild, fun, blessed with some exceptional and rare abilities, but neither well-ordered mentally, nor comfortable within the range of team duties needed from a left-sided striker in a 4-3-3 team full of world-class hard-nosed winners. The main contrast with Dembélé being Vinicius learned. He listened, he assimilated, he worked harder, he applied the lessons from training from Modric, from Benzema, from Casemiro and in the meantime Vinicius's game hasn't lost any of the intuitive, high-speed, split-second technical beauty. But he's harnessed all that to making those around him better, to ensuring that the team wins. For my taste, it's been wonderful to watch. And frankly, Xavi could do a lot worse than give DVDs of Vinicius to poor old Dembele. An away classical would be a perfect time for the Frenchman to wake up again. And dazzle the watching world. But at this distance, it looks as if Vinicius might be richly rewarded for the way in which he's been able to blend talent, magnificent athletic speed, learning and personal development towards the greater good of Real Madrid. Sunday could well be Vinicius Day.